Well, once more, it's time to catch up with what's going on in uh, Latin America. Delighted to say, joined from uh, Mexico by our good friend John Bonfilio. Uh, John, thank you ever so much for joining us. Good evening, Martin. Good evening to you. So, um, now, Mexico and the MLS, obviously Major League Soccer in the United States, uh, they're looking at merging. Uh, I would think that the quality of football in Mexico probably a wee bit higher than it is in the, uh, the United States. It's an interesting move. I mean, will it be, well, what's behind it for a start? Yeah, you would think, I mean, the two leagues essentially are on, are on something of a par. Obviously, we're talking about the US and Canadian Major Soccer League and then the Liga M MX or Liga MX, which is a Mex Mexican Premier League. And there's been rumours for quite a while now about them merging to make a 50-league team. And essentially, it seems as though the due date is 2026, which is when the World Cup comes over this way and is going to take place in Canada, the US, in Mexico. And it seems as though the different federations are going to use that event in order to uh, promote... Uh, promote this this new league which is going to join up between them it's been something of a you know a, a badly kept secret or rumor if if you like um there's been ongoing uh, discussions among the the two leagues for a while now there's there's joint cup competitions uh, that are taking place and then something really peculiar happened about three or four months ago when because then as a, as a result of uh, the impending pandemic in in the region the mexican league uh, announced that there was going to be no more promotional relegation uh, for the next four years and everybody was like well this is a bit strange and the argument that they were making was that it was to, to do with financial stability for the clubs over the course of the next few years but obviously the subtext is the fact that they they used um they used this this crisis this emergency in order to to shape the premier league in mexico to prepare it for a merger with uh with u.s soccer it's going to be a 50 or the, the, the hypothetic it's going to be a 50 team league so it's not as though you can have a single division, you know, with all the, the comings and goings that takes place across that. So it's going to be much more based around uh, the U.S. Soccer League, which is essentially based around conferences. So you have different geographical areas that, that play together in kind of mini leagues. And then you've got a, a playoff system which takes place uh, towards the end of it. It's also a problem in terms of the weather because uh, it gets pretty cold in the U.S. and Canada over the winter. Mm. So you can't play football during that period of time but obviously the Mexican league does run on a winter basis rather than on a on a summer basis so there's there's lots of problems still to to iron out approval from FIFA and from CONCACAF but it does seem as though you know everything points uh, all roads point to Jerusalem in this regard it seems yeah. Okay. Well, we'll keep a, keep an eye on that. Now we're always looking around the world to try and find a country that's uh, handled the coronavirus pandemic uh, more haphazardly, worse than we have in the UK. And uh, in doing that, uh, we, you know, we um, we fix on Mexico because uh, your economy is is just gone to hell in a handbasket. It has. Second quarter GDP is down just under 20% and the economy is expected to shrink by 10% this year. I mean, it's, you know, it's news now because these figures have just been released, but essentially it's a, you know, as far as I can make out, it's a similar figure across the region. I mean, Peru GDP fell 40% uh, in the second quarter. So it's, you know, it's a massive problem. And, and as we've spoken about before, it's a problem which is going to have a massive legacy beyond coronavirus in terms of um, the economic situation that, that affects the world and the region. Just to give you one stat, which is absolutely 
amazing. Um, the, the National Bank here in, in Mexico estimates that 16 million Mexicans have fallen into extreme poverty between February and May. And just to contextualize that, the population of Mexico is 126 million, more or less, give or take. So that means that one in eight Mexicans over the course of the last three or four months has fallen into extreme poverty. And it's not as though the Mexican economy has the wherewithal or the systems in place or is doing anything about it to be able to, to actually extract itself from the situation. So this is going to get a whole lot worse uh, before it gets any better. And what, what does that mean politically, you know, specifically as far as the president, uh, President Obrador, what, what, what does it mean to him? It's kind of strange for him. He's still got pretty high approval ratings, but that's essentially because he started with approval ratings in the high 80%. So he's fallen by about 30% in terms of, in terms of approval, but that means that he's still, uh, he's still got a lot of people on his side. And, I, and, and although his reaction has been very Trumpy and Bolsonaro-ish in terms of, um, how he's dealt with things or not dealt with things. Today, in fact, some, some lawmakers said, why don't you wear a mask? And he said, when we, when we, when we stop corruption in this country, I'll start wearing a mask. And then everybody went like, what? What are you saying? And this has been kind of a standard response mechanism that he's just not dealing with it very well at all. But on the other, you know, the flip side of the coin is that, uh, people also recognize that you know, he didn't bring it to the country, that it's not his fault. Maybe he's not dealing with it very well. But in the same way as um, as the cartels, for instance, and other kind of intrinsic problems that, that beset Mexico, that it's not as though anybody's done any better with previous administrations. So um, it's, we, we should give him the benefit of the doubt in terms of how he's addressing things. Having said that, obviously, um, you know, there is no light uh, no chinks of light emerging in yeah. terms of the handling or lack of handling of the situation at this end of things. Yeah, doesn't look good at all. Um, tell me about uh, El Mencho, uh, a, a drug lord uh, who's getting his own private hospital. Yeah, so we, we, we referred to the Jalisco New Generation Cartel briefly last week when we spoke about this incredible social media video, you know, with, with these guys a couple of thousand strong uh, armed mm. to the teeth with armoured carriers and so on. It's definitely the cartel du jour um, here. It's uh, making a lot of noise and it was the one that was to try to assassinate the police chief in Mexico City a couple of months ago um, and so on. And, and El, El Mencho is now public enemy number one, it seems, both in Mexico and in uh, and in the U.S. But he he's a nobody really knows very much about him. You know, Kelsey Breeze with these kinds of things. Uh, he's his cartel is in the west of Mexico in Jalisco, uh, so kind of northwesty west of Mexico City around Guadalajara. Um, but it seems that he's a 50 year old man with kidney problems. And obviously, when you're one of the capos of the, the, the main cartels in Mexico, it's not that straightforward to just go and, you know, and uh, fulfill your hospital appointment. So what are you going to do? You're going to build uh, an all singing, all dancing hospital to cater for just your needs in a tiny back uh, backwoods cowboy community of 220 people uh, called El Alciwatol in, in Jalisco. And this, this hospital has been built now for a number of years, and it's only just come to light that this major you know, uh, cutting-edge, state-of-the-art hospital uh, exists in, in, in one of the smallest communities in, in the west of Mexico. Bizarre. Every week you entertain us with some bizarre story. Uh, just finally, uh, Cuba. Now, Cuba, uh, in contrast to a lot of Latin America, has dealt with the coronavirus uh, crisis quite well. 
it has. They've, they've really gone through it. I mean, I guess contextually they were, they were always more likely to be able to, to deal with it because obviously Cuba being, um, you know, a socialist country has, has infrastructure to that effect. And certainly since the revolution, one of the things that they based um, the revolution and the sense of Cubanness on was healthcare. Uh, and it's got the highest uh, rate, doctor to patient ratio in the world and where at the same time you've got lots of countries in, in Latin America that don't have general cover and have kind of fractured um, privatized cover, there is universal cover in, in Cuba. And what the Cuban system did was essentially they mobilized everything that they could when this uh, when this came to pass and, and through all of their state-sponsored infrastructure and resources, not just to, to stamping down on, on the on coronavirus, but also seeking it out wherever it is so you've got all of the um all of the the medical students in the country all of the nurses going out uh, pounding a beat on a route i mean i've been speaking to people there over the course of the last couple of days and they say that over the course of the last three or four months there's maybe a handful of days where they haven't had a medical professional come and knock on their door and ask them who's in the house how everybody else how everybody is there and so on and as soon as there's a hint that anybody has it uh, you know, no matter the level of seriousness, they get hospitalized, they get taken out and they get hospitalized. Um, obviously, this can happen because there is a level of state control in that country, notwithstanding the way that they've dealt with it is is, is pretty amazing in terms of, you know, zeroing in on the problem. Well, preempting and zeroing in uh, on the problem. So they've had no deaths now for, for a couple of weeks and their inf infection rate over the course of the last two months has only gone up by about 250 people. Yeah, unbelievable. And they're sending their doctors and nurses are going to other countries uh, to help, which is uh, quite amazing. Uh, John, thank you ever so much uh, for bringing us up to date with Latin America. And uh, if it's OK by you, we'll talk again next week. No problem, Martin. Take care. Good man, good man. Top man John Bonfilio there uh, joining us from Mexico. We're going to look at... Uh,